Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution NHS, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by creating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practices. I am Ellie from Evolution Recruitment Solutions and today I am your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect official position or policy of their organisation. So if we just go round and start with some introductions. Um, so Kira, if you could go first. Hi, um, my name is Kira Moore and I am the Unified Electronic Patient Record for, uh, Program Director for Mid and South Essex Foundation Trust and Essex Partnership University Trust. Thank you very much. Uh, Barry? Uh, yeah, hi, so uh, Barry Frostick. I'm the Chief Digital and Information Officer for Mid and South Essex uh, Integrated Care Board. Thank you. And Dilshan? Hi, I'm Dr Dilshan Arawala, a consultant at the Broomfield site at Mid and South Essex Hospitals Foundation Trust. I wear a few other hats. I'm uh, one of their chief clinical information officers, clinical safety officers, and also a clinical entrepreneur. Thank you very much. So today's topic is all around engage, digital engagement. So the overarching conversation is going to be around how to engage people in the digital strategy within Mid and South Essex. Um, so Barry, if we go over to you to give a bit of context and then we'll go around the panel to discuss. Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks, Ellie. Um, so um, Mid and South Essex as a system, um, we've got quite an ambitious digital programme uh, on board. So um, we've got four uh, key strategic programmes in play across Mid and South Essex. And uh, those include our electronic patient record program, conversions of 10 uh, EPRs into one, which is unified across our provider landscape, so eBook and Mid and South Essex Foundation Trust. Uh, we've got a shared care record program, which is pulling together all of the information across uh, not only our provider landscape, but through to primary care, local authority partners, down into voluntary sectors, um, and eventually extend out potentially uh, beyond that activity. Uh, we've got a programme around our digital patient interface, our front door for residents across uh, Mid and South Essex. So our, our residents, our 1.2 billion population, should have a single point to go to be able to access things through there. Uh, and that's starting to get implemented now across the system. And then the fourth uh, big strand around our strategic programmes is uh, linked into data. So we've got a project called Athena, and that's delivery of a strategic data platform, a journey around one single version of the truth for data to support secondary uses population health management, uh, looking at our performance and pressure points across the system and supporting redesign of our pathways through programmes like stewardship. So that's the context of Mid and South Essex. Slightly ambitious in what we're trying to achieve in the timescales, uh, but actually it means it's an exciting place to work and a really exciting time to kind of be here and part of the team. Um, so Ellie, hopefully that gives a bit of context for some of the work we're doing in Mid and South Essex. Thank you very much. Um, Kira, over to you. 
Yeah, I'll just give you um, an approach around how we go about with the change and engagement with with any of, of these projects. And, and in particular, the, the work we're doing now around our digital strategies and that ambitious programme that Barry has um, has described. So there's there's probably kind of four or five points I'd like to talk through. And the first one is um, articulating that vision. So ensuring that um, people understand why we're doing what we're doing. Why are we putting in, for example, a, a, a new joint electronic patient record between two organisations first? first in the country, I believe, mental health with an acute trust. So why are we doing that? Um, and once people understand the why, then they pretty much sign up to. It's not just about, oh, it's it's a nice, bright, new, shiny iPhone. It is about why it's going to work and, and delivering that vision and understanding the benefits for the staff and, and uh, patients as well. So explaining that vision is really, really important and putting it in terms that all levels um, can understand. And, and so the second point is who are your stakeholders? So in any change and engagement, you need to understand who they are and map out a very extensive, we've got a huge stakeholder map um, of who all the key players are, who you need to bring in early, who you need to involve and collaborate with, who needs to be in a monitoring side, and then who do you need to give assurance to? And normally your board and executives and Barry, we have to give assurance to the things are working. Um, but the involvement, involving and collaborating is definitely key uh, with certain stakeholders. Um, and then underpin all that change and engagement work, we have to do the probably not the most exciting part, but setting out governance, good governance. So how are we going to report? How are we going to um, make sure we can give assurance to boards? How are we going to manage our funding? How are we going to uh, make sure that we deliver on service redesign? And, and all those aspects are just a few. And then thinking about the approach. So, um, in our approach, um, we talk about people and purpose all the time. There's normally with uh, IT programs, it's people, process, and then the technology. So we are going people, purpose, and, and then the technology is enabler. So who are people? How, how do they work? And um, what is the purpose of their work? Why are they doing things the way they do? So that we can design or redesign properly for the for any new uh, digital system that's coming in. Um, and that's a really key uh, piece around our digital change and engagement. Thank you, Kara. Uh, Dilshan, over to you. Yeah, I think uh, pick up on a couple of points really um, that Kira made. But one is around the vision. You know, how do we get people really brought into that? And um, talking from experience of the previous years, when organisations and indeed when the NHS tried to digitise in the past, it was very much driven by digital um, rather than being driven by the people and and by the problems that they were trying to solve. And if you're, I guess, product-driven rather than problem-driven, then you often start to lose focus on what your problems are. And if we look at the NHS thing as a whole, what we see is uh, a public service that's consuming, you know, hundreds of billions uh, of pounds, and 
productivity, but also performance in terms of the care that we're delivering to patients has been dropping. And digital was seen as a way of trying to change that and then change that path to one where rather than just managing diseases, what we're trying to do is we're trying to promote health and we're trying to prevent disease as well as manage illnesses. And that requires a really quite fundamental change from how we think as system leaders and how we deliver as care providers, as myself, as a consultant, and how we interact with patients and citizens. And if we you know, see the problem as a, well, we have a paper system, we need to digitize it, we're never, ever going to achieve that goal. So what we need to do is say, well, you know, what do we need to do? Well, we need to use digital to transform those services to not only remove friction from the system, so that's friction of citizens accessing um, in healthcare services, but also for frontline people delivering it, but also to inform people, to give them all that information and to empower them to actually make changes. And so when you come to the vision, the vision isn't a, well, here's lots of shiny new toys and we're going to put them in. It's a, well, this is how healthcare will be in the future. It won't just be about, yes, you have a, a need for some healthcare and we'll deliver it. It's a, no, we start with you right at the beginning of your life journey, but how we educate you. So we're almost flipping the way healthcare is currently delivered, which is focused around secondary care. It needs to start in the community. That's why this program is going to be unique and it's going to be game-changing because we are linking community with secondary. And actually, we'll start to see, a rather than it flowing from secondary care into community, it will start to be the other way. We'll be breaking down our walls in secondary care to help in community, to start right at the beginning, informing patients, informing frontline staff, building knowledge and skills within communities to actually make the changes. That's where digital will make the difference in terms of transformation. Thank you. Uh, Barry, have you got anything to add to that? Um, I mean, I think that's a really good point, especially about the understanding the why point and, and you know, what is the problem we're trying to solve. If we just uh, look at one, one of those programmes, if we just look at the uh, electronic patient record, um, uh, being able to link uh, just acute into mental health. So we know that roughly uh, one in four adults are living with mental health illnesses. Um, so 25% of our population, which is 300,000 patients, are likely to use both acute and mental health services in our locality across the next 10 years. And actually, our ability um, uh, to care for those patients better when they cross boundaries becomes unlocked when you start to implement these new technologies and new services. So we know that 20% of patients with mental health diagnosis received um, emergency inpatient care as well within our system. So, so actually, it's that kind of if we're trying to provide better joined up care, and let's let's I guess let's remember that patients don't see the acute hospital as the only thing for NA, the NHS. They see us as one service, not as individual organisations. So, if we are going to truly provide that holistic care better for our residents and our patients then, you know, an EPR can really start to unblock that. And I guess that's the bit which starts to engage with people because it's more about how 
as a clinician or how as a service user are you going to be able to provide better care for patients rather than haven't we got a nice shiny box and look at how cool these flashing lights are on it as well. That's not going to turn people into a really interested and dynamic um, uh, kind of audience. Um, I think there's, there's one thing which I learned really on and it was Early when I started my career at Basildon Hospital, we, we built a results reporting system. Um, and there was one microbiologist, so I'll leave his, I'll leave his name out of it, but you've got the gender. Um, uh, one microbiologist, which was quite vocal, and I ignored, and I ignored, thinking, well, they sound a little bit tricky to deal with. Um, and eventually I sat down, uh, and all they wanted to do was say, hey, could you provide this level of view so I can assure that what you're sending out to all of the clinicians across the hospital is accurate as far as I'm concerned. So they were just worried about the fair representation of their information. So, you know, ignore your stakeholders at peril. You know, that that is, that is your biggest challenge on here and actually listen to those stakeholders because they will have a reason as to why they're concerned or, or voicing concerns. 99% of people I've dealt with are trying to do the right thing. So so, so work with your stakeholders to get the right solution. Yeah, uh, Ali, I'll, I'll jump in on that. Um, I think in the design, so involving, and, and it leads into that, not, not necessarily having difficult uh, conversations, but involving um, clinical and operational teams in the design is really key. Um, because when you... When you design it, you need to make it easy to do for them to do the right thing when they're using the system. Um, and so engaging with them and understanding that people and purpose element that I spoke about and their process, you know, why are they doing things the way they're doing? Some some of the workflow uh, work that we've done, mapping, they're they're doing they're doing workarounds because we've created a really difficult process for them to work in. So key to the technology is understanding how they work and the purpose and try eliminate all that um, duplication, triplication, <laughs> it can go on, eliminate all of that and really understand how they work and involve them in that design. And if, if we don't do that, we are at risk of failing them and failing our patients. And I've um, an example from a large implementation I did before where it was that not the IT was done to people, but it was assumed the provider of the IT was a specialist, knew how things had ran, implemented the system. And then um, the diabetes team came to me probably about two months later going, we've got a problem that's just an awful problem. And it's like, oh, were you not engaged? <laughs> and um, they said, well, we did our training, but nobody had worked out what was really essential for them to collect. And they were top in national data, in uh, national scores right across the NHS for their uh, diabetes work um, and their data and crashed right to the bottom because nobody involves them in the what data do we need to capture for you. They hadn't changed their practice, um, but the data that they really needed as evidence for 
their work, etc., and for feeding into national um, regulatory reports, etc., they were just looked like they were failing. And then immediately you get, oh, there's a terrible problem in this area. Let's send in the experts when it's not needed. And I think I don't know, Dilt, if you feel that's that is the way things are. People are trying to do workarounds, trying to do the best they can, and um, and really our roles with the change and engagement is involve them early as early as you can from day one, help them describe how they work, the purpose of their work, and make sure that we capture that really well uh, so that on go live day, it's as smooth as possible. Yeah, no, Kira, I mean, um, uh, everything you said is so absolutely true. And if we need any evidence to back that up, we just have to look across the pond in the US and see what's happened with a lot of their healthcare digitization. So um, Atul Gawande, who most people know, who has, you know, who is famous for the WHO checklist that's used globally, um, has written a lot of books around healthcare, and he wrote a, a great article in 2020. Uh, Barry, you might have read this, uh, Why Doctors Hate Their Computers, which he wrote in The New Yorker. And, you know, and it was really around how um, what they what the digitization had done, it had made their lives so much harder and had, you know, for example, um, in the US, 70 um, percent of every clinic uh, slot is taken up entering data into computers. So if you look at their, their keystroke rate compared to European doctors, it's something like 300% higher in terms of that's how much they're doing. And, and what he describes are doctors who patients turn around to them and say, you haven't even looked at me once during this whole consultation. Okay. And imagine what that does for that relationship between that patient and that clinician. It's, it's just destroying in, in many, many ways. But it also leads to clinical burnout. And they have some of the highest burnout rates in the world, in, in the US. So, so coming back to Kira's point, yeah, we don't have to make these mistakes. We should be learning from others. And just as a local example of that, I will never forget an orthopedic surgeon, I won't mention where, uh, you know, being diplomatic like Barry, who <laughs> said to me, Look, Dilsh, I'm going to order an X-ray on this EPR, and he did it, and it was like about seven minutes. And he said, "Now, watch me do it on paper." And he picked it up and he put a squiggle, and it was done. And that was his signature. And what we forget sometimes with with digital is it's just very easy to add in more fields here and there, and forget how long each process takes. But if it takes you seven minutes to order an X-ray, and you're running a clinic of forty patients in a fracture clinic. Do the maths. It's 280 minutes. That's almost four hours of time ordering x-rays potentially. That's not compatible. You know, that's not sustainable. And that's when workarounds kick in. We can, you know, if we listen, we can put in, we can automate things, you know, so you, you can keep the safety in by having a human in the loop where they just tick it and say, yes, I want it. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. or I don't. Straight away, you've got your seven minutes down to 30 seconds or we can try and offset time where digital can't be improved upon by looking at time savings elsewhere but you've got to look at the experience of those and so walk in their shoes understand it make the savings where you can because it's about making that time for patients 
and clinicians to interact. Again, it's about removing friction, not adding friction. It's about informing. It's about empowering. And if we go with those key words to people, they will engage. That's what they want. Thank you. Barry, over to you. Yeah, so, I mean, just thinking of that, I mean, that's a really good example in terms of the outpatients and, and, the, and the follow-up appointments. So, you know, this goes back to the heart of um, the challenge of being really open when, when colleagues like Kira and the team come to say, well, what, we're doing this new project, we want to engage with you because we want to design a service to best meet your needs. And, you know, if you, if you just look at that example, in reality... Whenever you have an outpatient appointment, you'll have an out- outcome from there. You know, you'll have a follow-up piece of paper, which could be doesn't need another follow-up, they're done, they're discharged, they might need an X-ray, they may. And designing that form to capture a tick, tick, tick item, small bit of free text in a way that a clinician can do that within within seconds rather than then means uh, not only are you capturing the outcomes immediately after the consultation or even as part of the consultation rather than leaving it to the end of the day um, or putting it on a piece of paper that gets lost somewhere, you're also then being really efficient on time. And, and I think there are items such as workflow, which we don't even start to look at yet on some of the tools. So if, if I just think of the stuff we're, we're looking at around shared care records, um, you know, I was speaking to some community nurses uh, the other day and, and they get frustrated when they turn up and the patient's not at home. Now, sometimes the patient's not at home because they had a fall over the weekend. They are admitted into ED. ED then said, no, you're in the wards. And the patient's in the ward. Now, if we had integrated our records within the acute hospital and within the community collaborative space, Actually, that could trigger off a workflow to that community nurse to say, oh, by the way, Barry's on your list to go and see today, but he's in hospital. You can reschedule. You could turn up to the hospital instead of the home address. And and, and that's how technology can then start to make things easier for um, our workforce and for our clinicians as well. But also, our patients start to receive proper joined up care. For, for, for us. So, so it's making uh, an improvement in terms of how we can care for that patient. Uh, and we can even then look at things like changing their care plans and their, and, and, and their community care provision as well, depending on what the conditions are for what they've got within the hospital. So, so for me, that's, that's the piece about when there's a plea to engage, engage early on, which means that the service can be designed around the needs of what's required rather than the horrific kind of seven-minute slots that we end up getting. Thanks, Barry. Kira, what about you? Um, yeah, I agree, obviously, um, around the engagement. Conversely, there's the issue around um, managing people's expectations, isn't there, with the, with what we can provide at particular times. And um, and as with any change programme, we can't all be winners. So it is about um, making sure that the, the expectations are laid out uh, from the start, um, yes, work on workflows, yes, engage clinicians. Um, I'll give you an example as well. And it, it's about guiding people too, isn't it? So another implementation um, that I uh, that I helped with, um, you could flag things 
And um, and so the clinicians got overexcited. I'm going, right, that's an alert and that's an alert and that's an alert. And it was like, guys, you're, you're not going to get any work done because you'd be responding to alerts all the time or somebody else where you'd be increasing someone else's workload. So it is about managing that expectations. And then very key is about making sure it's safe. So what are we putting in? And is that flag really necessary? Is it about safety or is it just because you quite like to have everything on alert because that's your personal preference? And this is where Dilch and I think that whole thing, you know, about burnout, unless you guide and and guide and support clinicians in that early stage around, do you know what? Let's just put in the basics. Let's put in what you need to be safe. And then you can add and enhance on top of that. Um, but having had done this uh, um, this uh, application before, you know, we had to intervene and go, stop flagging everything. We, you will not get any work done. And, and it's just that, um, you know, new systems are exciting. They can do a lot more uh, than what they currently work with so it is about um making sure that design is right and expectations are right and 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 that um new systems often also come with a lot of pain it's very exciting but i think people uh when we'd be very remiss not to advise our clinicians and our operational leads that there is going to be a lot of pain from a go live because everyone will be working in a new way and how are they going to work in the new way so prepare as much as possible by training them on the system making sure they're comfortable with it but that go live day will be just immense and um, even those who've done near perfect implementations do not get away without having some pain within that go live phase Yes, Sakira, so I mean, uh, great point. So the first one about managing expectations, I think part of the problem is um, we compare what we have at work to what we have at home. You know, and I think back to when I got my first mobile phone, it was an Nokia 8210, which was in the late 90s, right? And it was amazing. There was a game on it. I could play a snake and you could chase around <laughs> picking up balls, right? Now, if you think where we are now, we're 20... 24, 25 years on, it's taken that long to get this level of technology. Healthcare technology was a very late starter. Um, and it's far more complex because it's not individual apps. It's apps that are all linking together. And there is a risk, a clinical risk and emotive risk around healthcare. So it, we are being cautious. People are being cautious for good reason. But I think one thing we often forget it's not just about downloading an app and away we go it's it's the optimization post go live you know it's that being realistic everyone being honest that actually it's it, we're doing the best we can to get the go live as right as we can but what the evidence from other um, big launches over the last five ten years show is you've got to invest in the first five to ten years afterwards in optimizing continuously evaluating and iteratively improving your systems because you won't get it right first time and if you're honest up front about that people will go the journey with you because what they'll start to see is they'll start to see not only improvements in the in the flows that they're using but also they'll start getting data back this is about the nhs and us becoming almost like a data company and democratizing data out to uh, the frontline staff, to leaders, to citizens. Again, it's all about empowering those people. 
And Kira made a point about safety. Their safety is really, really important. And, you know, we haven't touched on kind of AI and machine learning, which Barry put down the list, which I think are really important points because they are coming at an incredible pace. Things like large language models uh, will start to be used um, on healthcare data. Now, they're only as good as the data you put into them or that you query. And if your data is incomplete and it's, it's inaccurate, then you're going to get garbage out, quite simply. So we've got to get the data right, is the first thing to say. But AI, you know, and machine learning, it can really help us to kind of, uh, you know, uh, automate certain processes, automate data querying as well. But we have to understand, you know, and it's a journey about how that impacts not only the care we deliver, but also how we behave as humans. Okay, uh, because nobody's really looked at that, and it's it's a really interesting and exciting area. But it has the potential to cause problems as well as solve problems as well. Thank you, Dilshan. Uh, Barry, Kira, have you got anything to add to those points? You're on mute, Barry. So it's going to wrap him, wasn't it? <laughs> always going to happen, always. So I'm just jealous about, uh, jealous about your 8210 because that was a smaller smaller phone for the 3310 that I used to have. And that's where the small phones were really cool. So so you was obviously um, cool owning one of those uh, phones. You're um, older than me, Barry. I think that's what it is. It's amazing. Is it? Oh, thanks for calling that out. Um, but, uh, and so... Uh, uh, I guess AI. So I, I struggle. I struggle a little bit with AI. Um, I, I call it intelligent automation. I don't yet think we're at the point of proper artificial intelligence, although I imagine we will get there. Um, and and I think there is a bit, and you know, there's a bit around that in terms of you've got to have really good quality data. Um, I, and I'm a bit different to some people, maybe, um, in that I expect. The best way to get good quality data is to expose the poor quality data. Um, so actually, you know, if we are doing automation, intelligent automation, and that intelligent automation is firing up errors because of poor data quality, why don't we use that? Why don't we use that to drive a data quality program, which then means that people become more aware of how important it is to put the accurate data in because they can see the impact on what that's starting to have. Uh, and at the moment, this may be contentious, but I don't necessarily believe that people putting data into the systems at the moment understand the potential impact and importance of putting that data in. You know, sometimes it's seen as a bind, and that might be because it's been designed in some some way that goes back to your point earlier, Dilsh, around, um, you know, seven minutes to be able to order an X-ray. Um, but actually, if that's captured electronically, um, you've got so many other purposes you can use the data for. So, so I think when we when we get to AI and machine learning, I mean that's all really cool stuff. Um, and there are uh, uh, companies out there that do a lot of machine learning stuff. I, I think I think we should embrace it. We should embrace it in a way that says, let's just show what this could do for us. Whether that's about predictive analytics for um, how to plan for demand and capacity, for example, within the system. So you're not necessarily making a decision on patient care, but you're making a decision about flow across the system. Let's use it. And let's use it as a way that not only enables us to make better informed decisions, but drives data quality. Yeah, I mean, 
just on that point, Kira, I'm sure you want to come in because um, your work on the the nursing documentation I think is really valid here. Um, there's a, a um, I'm reading a book actually at the moment called Zero to One. Uh, I don't know if you read it, guys. It's it's, it's basically around um, written by one of the founders of PayPal, uh, who then went on to co-found Palantir, and and it's really around you know well, what data is useful data, and he suggested, uh, I think it's Peter Thiel, um, 90% of our data is actually junk data, uh, where it actually adds no longer-term value. And if you look at, you know, if we want to kind of really get people to buy in to the value of data, what is the most important data we need to collect? You're absolutely right about repurposing data. I completely agree with that as a point. But if we're asking people to put in stuff that, that nobody's ever going to use, then we're stopping them potentially from putting the data that's really important. And that's where that engagement right at the beginning is so important. Yeah? What is that critical minimum data set that we can launch with yeah, to get it absolutely right first time and then we grow from that point that's why i think you know places go wrong because they say i can have everything but kira over to you because i don't want to steal your thunder here on, uh, <laughs> on <this documentation. laughs> so so yeah on on the point of documentation um we used a method um in one of the sites uh basildon actually um uh, a, a method called VARD, which is uh, visualize, optimize, and dig digitize. Um, and what we asked uh, teams to do in the hospital was bring us all your documentation, all your paperwork. Um, and they we had a paper picnic. Um, and so we, we had um, lots of things going on, but people brought down, we made it a fun event. And people brought down all their documentation and laid out nurse reams and reams and reams of nursing documentation, clinical documentation, allied health professional. We were putting them all into their batches. And, and when we collated that documentation, I think it was over 6,000 pieces of individual pieces of paper with data. That's all data. And, and the uh, laid end to end that data that we collect and this is just a once this is collecting this data once that we use for patients and um, that paperwork um went the full length of the south end pier in fact it actually went over it by 0.03 miles but that pier is is the longest pier in europe i think it's over a mile long and um, so it just shows you how much data we got um in that paper so big wadges of, of documentation. When we reviewed that documentation, it was duplicated and somebody somewhere had created their own little booklet, but that had the same documentation that someone else had. And then there were some pieces of paper brought in because somebody wanted them. The WHO checklist that Dilch uh, mentioned earlier had been replicated about three three different versions. So there was a standard version, which was pretty much what most organizations would recognize. And then someone else had repurposed it for their needs rather than sticking to what is universal around the WHO uh, checklist. So to the point where it asked if the patient was pregnant three times on it. Well, if they weren't at the start, it's unlikely that they are at the end of that checklist or post-surgery, unless it's that type of surgery. So it was really, really interesting seeing all this documentation. The next stage on that now is we have all this 
wealth of intelligence now and we are working through with our uh, clinical leads, our nurse leads to go through like what is essential and just strip all that out. And that's a really important exercise for us in advance of bringing in our EPR. Because you imagine bringing in a EPR provider and, before, and not having done that piece of work, we've been a right mess. So the, all, the earlier you engage with people, with your teams around how are you working, what data are you using, it was just shocking to see how much uh, paperwork. Then we went to the other two sites, um, and I think we're we're coming back the other end of the pier. I think we can do it twice. But, uh, yeah. I think I mean, Kira, just to add to that, I think um, there was a paper uh, a few months ago. I think I think it was from an Asian uh, healthcare service where they'd implemented Epic uh, um, many years ago, and they reviewed their nursing documentation, and they were. And it had just grown over time digitally, and they were able to reduce it by 50%. So you've got to see it almost like your lawn, and actually thatch builds up. And unless you strip you know, strip it out, yeah, you will actually suffocate the roots, right? So you've got to keep working at it. You can't see it as a, I put it in and I walk away. It requires continuous love and attention. Thank you, Dilshan. Um, Kira, Barry, anything that you would like to add? No? Perfect. Okay. No, well, just is... engage, engage, engage. Yeah. I think is the... <laughs> <laughs> the key theme. <laughs> Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Ellie Fox and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at ellie.fox at evolution-contract.co.uk. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.